Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. pushed on my heart a little bit for on Easter Sunday because as I looked at the layout I, I saw when when Easter would fall in the middle of this series for us to in, in a way call a time out from the series in a way not uh, I'm not going to the next topic where I left off last week the the verses that I left off last week but, but instead I felt led to do an overview of, of the whole book of James now for some of you that know me that probably scares you to death you're thinking we'll be here at supper time uh, so that, that means that we, uh, can't read all the verses or anything like that. We're just gonna, uh, you know, get some, some big pictures that are found there. And the title of the message is, is actually this, a, a message from the brother of Jesus. Because when you look at who James is, he was a, a brother, a half-brother of Jesus. He, he was also a disciple of Jesus. And also the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So I would think that James would kind of have some important stuff to say on this Easter Sunday that we would need to hear. If you think about who James is, I told you a moment ago, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Now the reason I say half-brother of Jesus, his mother Mary, of course, is the mother of Jesus. But they had different fathers. <laughs> Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, overshadowed Mary, and she conceived. God is the father of Jesus. James, on the other hand, had a father by the name of Joseph. But even though that's true, James would have grown up with Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he would have seen him as he's growing up and he would have after he started following Jesus as a disciple he was there firsthand to hear the things that Jesus taught the, the miracles that Jesus performed he, he was there howbeit from the distance watching when Jesus was crucified he, he also saw the risen Jesus on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection. So I'm just thinking that he's got some important stuff. He's got a message that we ought to have the desire to hear that, that he wanted to share about his half-brother Jesus. And I really think that's what he's doing through this whole epistle. When we think about what Jesus did for us, that Jesus once and for all, forever, paid the price for our sins. That Jesus was nailed on that cross and the blood that he shed was the payment for my sin and for yours. He purchased our salvation. He purchased our forgiveness. He screamed out with a loud voice, it is finished. They put him in the tomb, but he rose on the third day to prove that he had won the victory. So in light of all those things, I, I, I think James, his half-brother, would have some things to say to us on Easter, don't you? 
I want us to get five big messages today. Five big thoughts from James about his brother Jesus. He, he told us that he's a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the twelve tribes, the Jewish believers that have been dispersed out. He doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus. He calls himself a servant. But I want you to notice five, five big things that he says to us on this Easter Sunday. First of all, I think he tells us this, because my brother did all these things for you, you ought to respond in certain ways. Because my brother suffered for you, you should become more like him through suffering. That's the first theme of the epistle of James. And when we think about how Jesus suffered for us, James is more or less saying, hey, this is what my brother, my half-brother, Jesus did for you. He suffered for you. He bled and died for you. So in response to what he's done for you, just maybe you ought to become more like him through suffering. As he dealt with that theme of suffering, he, he tells us that God has a purpose. And God's purpose is this, even through the bad stuff that we face in our lives, the negative stuff we face in our lives, even things that might cause us to suffer in our life, God's purpose is that we would become more steadfast, that we would let the maturity that he's wanting to build into our lives have its full effect is what he says in verse 4, that, that you may be perfectly complete, lacking in nothing. When, when we face various trials, when we face testing, when we go through difficulties, even things that cause us to suffer, His purpose is this. His purpose is not to hurt us. His purpose is to mature us and make us more and more like Jesus. That's what His goal is for us, even in the bad things that we face in life. We, we kind of believe lies that our culture wants to sell us uh, that you know it's only the good stuff in our lives that we ought to focus from and learn from but the bible tells us exactly the opposite we can learn from good stuff but we can also learn from bad stuff and when we're going through difficulties in our lives we need to understand that because jesus suffered we ought to become more like him through suffering he'll make us more complete and perfect not just god's purpose but god's goodness because we're also told about God's goodness in chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. God so loves you, He wants the very best for your life. He, he loves you just like you are, but He loves you too much to leave you just like you are. He wants you to become more and more like Jesus. And even the bad stuff that might come into your life, God has a good intent for it. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. And when James wrote that years ago, it's still true today because James says there's not even a shadow that he would turn. God doesn't even cast a shadow like He's changed His mind or changed His purpose for your life. Not just God's purpose and God's goodness, but we can also look in the first part of this epistle and find out about God's Word. God's Word. And he uses some language here in the Greek that, that, that kind of talks about a conception taking place and a birth taking place when you look at it in the Greek. 
Instead of his own will, of God's own will, in other words, of his grace, not anything that you deserve or earn, but of his own will, he, he brought us forth, he birthed us. A conception takes place and he births us forth into his family by the word of truth so we can become a, a sample of what his creatures will eventually fully become and be like. God used his word to birth us into his family, but he also gives us this Bible for our, for our guidebook. You go and buy something, you get an owner's manual, you know, and a lot of times we just, men, we throw the owner's manual aside, don't we? We know how to put it together. We don't need any help. Regrettably, many times we do that with a Bible, and this is where we get our help. This is how we learn how to live our lives. We need to let the Bible speak to us. It needs to be very important in our lives. James is writing to us and he's saying, listen, because my brother did all these things for you, because he suffered for you, you ought to be willing to allow even suffering in your own life to make you more like him, to be more like him. Second big message I want you to get this morning from James is this. Because my brother, because Jesus came as a servant, you should become more like him through serving. Jesus left the portals of glory, the way theologians call that, left everything that was there in heaven, and he came into this world to be a servant. And in light of him coming to serve us, him coming to die on the cross for us, him coming to serve others, we ourselves can become more like him if we will be servants. James tells us that our service is proven through obedient faith. When we really obey God's word, he tells us to be quick to hear. He tells us to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. He tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. If you and I want to be better servants, if we want to be a servant like Jesus was a servant, then we need to be willing to listen to what he says. Also, our service is proven through love and faith, James tells us, because he tells us not to show partiality. Not to prefer rich people over poor people. He tells us that we need to fulfill the royal law. We need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we will do that, we'll be a little bit more like Jesus. If we will love others more than we love ourselves. Because that's what he proved when he went to the cross for our sins. He tells us also that our, our service can be proven through work and faith by actually doing something. Jesus came into this world as a servant, and he actually did a lot of stuff, didn't he? James writes to us, and he says, What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works? He writes to us, and he tells us, If we just tell people to go in peace and be warmed and filled without doing something to meet their needs, we're falling far short of what our faith ought to be. James throws out a challenge and he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He tells us faith apart from works is useless because it doesn't help anyone. He even writes as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So on this Easter Sunday, if, if we want to hear this message that James wants to give about his brother who came and suffered and died in your place and my place. Part of that message is Jesus was a servant. You and I should be servants. You and I should be willing to actually prove our faith by the deeds that we have in our lives. 
The third big message that James gives us is this. He more or less tells us in chapter 3, because my brother spoke perfectly, you should become more like him through your speech. And everything I've said up to this has been a review of what we've already looked at in James. And we will look at this thought in more detail next Sunday. That does not mean it's okay to say out next Sunday because I've warned you what we're talking about. Because I'll be honest with you, I have a trouble I have trouble with this one, do you? I mean, think about how Jesus spoke. I mean, we're even told in the Bible that that there's never anyone that's ever spoke like Jesus before. They they sent people to take Jesus in John chapter seven. And the officer and the chief priest said, Go and seize him, and they go and they their, their, their goal was to arrest him. That's what they were told to do. And then they go and then they hear Jesus talking. And it's like we've, we've never heard anybody talk like that. And it's like they even forget to arrest him because of what he says. <laughs> and they return and they say, well, why didn't you bring it back? And the officers that they sent to arrest him said, no one ever spoke like this man. Think about the, the words that Jesus said in his earthly ministry. Think about all the great illustrations that he made, all the parables that he told. Think about all the great truths that Jesus taught and how he spoke. I mean, just a sample of a message of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and all the truth and the clarity that he had in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke clearly. He didn't waste his words. He, he didn't mind upsetting the religious crowd. He didn't mind calling them a bunch of snakes to the Pharisees and putting them in their place. But he also spoke with great compassion. Jesus spoke like no one had ever spoke before. And James calls us to improve our speech. He's telling us, because my brother, my half-brother Jesus spoke like he did. You need to improve some in your speech. He gives us an exhortation to start with. And the exhortation is just basically telling us, hey, we stumble in a lot of ways. We do, don't we? We mess it up a lot of ways sometimes in our lives. And he says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, though he's, he's a perfect man and also able to bridle his whole body. So he, he's making a close connection between our words and our character. And after he throws out this exhortation that there's a, a close connection between what you say and, and your character, he, he gives us some illustrations. Like I said, we'll go into these in more detail next week, but he, he gives us an illustrations of horses. And more or less, he says you put a little bit in a horse's mouth, but that little bit in the mouth you can take and move that big horse and cause it to go where you want it to go and do what you want it to do. And the thought is, is this, if we can just control this little thing here, then we can kind of control the rest of our body. He gives an illustration of a ship, and, and he talks about how large ships are and how they can be driven by the wind, but they're guided by a little small rudder in comparison to the size of the ship. So if we can control this little thing here, then we can control more things about our life than we even realize he uses an illustration of a forest fire and, and how the tongue is a small member of our body and yet we can really boast great things. And he talked about how this huge forest fire can be started by just sparks, by a small blaze. So what we allow to come out here many times might 
seem like it's just a small thing. We say it when we've gossiped or we've talked about someone else, but it can cause a huge impact, a forest fire, and cause a lot of damage. He used the illustration also of tamed animals. He said we as human beings, we've kind of tamed all kinds of animals, but it seemed like we have trouble taming one thing. We have trouble taming this this time and what we say. He says, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And he gives us another illustration of water. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Of course, the answer is no. And then later on, the second part of verse 12, he said, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And he gives a similar illustration with an olive tree or a grapevine. He says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And of course, the answer is no. And the point that he's making is this. If we are are Christians, there's things that ought to come out of our mouths and things that should not come out of our mouths. So I told you I wrestle with that one. We'll go into more detail on that next week, probably more than you or myself want. But James is telling us because of what his brother, his half-brother Jesus did, there's some things that you and I ought to do. And because Jesus suffered, you and I ought to become more like him through suffering. Because Jesus served, you and I ought to become more like him through serving. Because Jesus spoke perfectly, we ought to become more like Jesus through the way that we, that we speak. The application that he makes in verse 13 through 18 of how we use our speech impacts relationships. You know, if we use our speech in the wrong way, we're going to cause jealousy and selfishness and boasting and and spreading falsehoods and cause disorder and cause conflict. So the application is we need to control what we say. Jesus had power over his tongue. And if we're going to be like him, we need to control what we say and try and be more like Jesus because when we don't, it hurts relationships. The fourth thing, the fourth big message on this Easter Sunday that we want to get from the half-brother of James as we do this overview of the whole book of of James is this. I think more or less James tells us in chapter 4, because my brother, because my half-brother, because Jesus lived a sinless life, you should become more like him through separation. Look at what he writes in these verses. Verse number, next slide please. He tells us, first of all, there's a war that we need to fight. And as he writes, he tells us where the war is. First of all, it's the flesh. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? And you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, we're all the time asking what we want so we can use it for ourselves. A battle that we have as Christians that we need to war and fight against is our flesh and also the world. Because he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose? As the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. If you and I are out being more friends with the world than we're being friends with Jesus, he said it's like we're committing adultery against God. 
So we need a war against the world. We also have a war to fight against the devil. And it says, but he, God, gives us more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In light of how Jesus lived his life, the sinless life of Jesus, you and I, as those that say we're his followers, we need to live a more separated life. We need to live more like him instead of living more like the world. He also gives us some warnings, not just a a war that we need to fight, but he gives us some warnings we need to heed as we think about Jesus living sinless and how you and I need to live more like him. He gives us a warning against pride. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Instead of walking around filled up with pride, we need to see ourselves before God and compare ourselves to Jesus. And that often causes us to have humility in our lives. He also gives us a warning against criticism. Don't go around speaking evil against one another, brothers, for the one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, are you not a doer of the law but a judge? There there is only one lawgiver and judge. And by the way, the implication is this. You're not it. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James writes and he's he's telling about how his half-brother lived and how he suffered and how he died. And he's challenging us to be more and more like him. And he also gives us a warning against self-confidence. And he writes these words. Come now you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. To whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him and his sin. In other words, before we start making our prideful plans, we better check them out and be sure they're God's plans. Becky's parents lived by that so much it frustrated the dickens out of me when I was dating her. Because we were dating and I would try and be planning ahead something we could do or see what her parents were going to do the next day because a lot of times our dates early on when we were younger would be like going to the parkway on a picnic with her parents. I know some of you think, woohoo, what a date. But that, you know, when you're at a certain age, you know, that's, that's what it was. And I'd call and be trying to find out, what are we doing? And they would say, well, we don't know. We're not going to plan ahead and they'd point at this verse. That would frustrate me to death. I'm thinking, that doesn't tell you not to plan at all. It just tells you to be sure that you're not making your own plans, that your plans need to be God's plans. And don't be so self-confident in yourself that you think you can pull off things in your life yourself. All we're trying to do on this Easter Sunday is hear some messages from the half-brother of Jesus. James writes to begin with, and he tells us, because my brother suffered for you, then you need to understand the suffering that you face in your life is 
not to hurt you, but it's to make you more like Jesus. Because my brother came and he served you. That means if you're going to be more like Jesus, you yourself, you need to be a servant. He, he challenges us and he tells us, if, if, if you want to be more like my, my brother Jesus, then what you need to do is control your tongue and what you say and the way you speak. And if you want to be more like Jesus, he challenges us that we need to live a more, a more separated life. And then I think he closes with one last big thought. He tells us, because of my brother's second coming, you should be ready. James writes, and he's, he's challenging us, letting us know that Jesus is coming back. That the judge is at the door, that he will return. And in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ, James writes and he says, Listen, my brother will come back and you need to be ready when he comes. He writes to begin with to the rich. And he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of the harvest. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And what James, I think, is saying is he speaks to that group of people. He said, because you have done these things and you've trusted in your wealth instead of trusting in your God, he's saying there's coming a time that all of this will come against you. By the way, Jesus is coming back and you'll have to give an account for the way you've lived your life. But then he writes to those that have been oppressed. And he says, be patient therefore, brothers, until they come to the Lord. He just had written about rich people oppressing people, and now he's writing to those who were oppressed. He said, be patient therefore, brothers, until they come to the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying just like a farmer has to plant the seed and wait for the rain and wait for it to grow. He's telling people who are being oppressed and hurt in the world that we live in, hold out a little bit longer. Understand that my brother is on the way back, that Jesus will return. And when he comes back, He'll fix all the injustice in the world. In verse 9, he says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, the message of Jesus returning ought to affect our relationships with each other. The way we treat each other, the things we say to each other should be impacted by the reality that in a moment's notice, Jesus could come back. The judge is at the door, so be careful how we treat each other. 
And then he tells us in verse 19 and 20 of that chapter, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The intimate return of Jesus Christ ought to affect the way you and I relate to each other. We ought to hold each other accountable. We ought to look at each other with love. I'm not talking about judging someone and condemning someone because they've made a mistake, but we do need to hold each other accountable because we want them to be living as much as they should like Jesus when he comes back. We want to be living as much like Jesus as we can when, when he comes back. Our, our going to heaven is not based upon our performance, but our rewards sure are. And the way that we honor him and the way that we are, are, are glorifying him or the lack thereof in our lives has to do with the things that we've talked about today. If you face suffering in a way that you think, I, I don't like it, I'm mad that God is letting me suffer, I'm upset at people that are making me suffer, instead of understanding that God wants to use that suffering to make you more like Jesus, then you've missed the point. If you think Jesus saved you just so you can live your own life, instead of living the life that He has for you, being the servant that He was, then you've missed the point. If you think it's okay to go through life and, and, and you're supposed to be a Christian fountain, but you're spouting out this salt water all the time, you miss the point. If you think it's okay to say you believe in Jesus and only act like that on Sunday and go out and live like the rest of the world all the rest of the time, you miss the point. And you need to have a wake-up call, and I need to have a wake-up call, and our churches need to have a wake-up call and understand that Jesus is coming back. And that means that we have work to do because there are sinners out there that do not know Him. And we need to reach them with the gospel because His gospel, His blood covers a multitude of sins. I think James has some important stuff to say on Easter, don't you? James writes this epistle, and he, and, and he writes it letting us know that there are things that you and I need to apply to our lives. Being a Christian is not a thing of just signing a membership role at church and thinking, woo-hoo, I'm on my way to heaven, and now I'll just go live my life however I want to live it. You and I live in the Christian life. It means that when we suffer, instead of getting bitter about it, we understand that God has a purpose for it, to make us more like Jesus. When we have opportunities to serve, we serve because that makes us more like Jesus. Learning to bridle our tongue, to control our tongue, because that gives an indication of what all of our character is really like. We... We, we need to change that if we want to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus lived a sinless life, we need to live a more separated life in this world if we want to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus is coming again, we need to be more like Jesus.
There's a lost world around us that's watching us and they need to see us being like Jesus. They thought they could stop the resurrection. After they had, thinking they had orchestrated it, God had it planned all along, but after they thought they had pulled off having Jesus executed on the cross, not realizing that it was always God's plan, but after they thought they'd pulled that off, they're saying he claimed that he would take his life back up again. And to be sure that some of his followers do not come and steal his body and make it look like he really rose from the dead. We need to do something about that. So they did. They put him in the tomb. They put a seal on it with a little signet of the ring of the ruler thinking that meant that no one would break it. They sent soldiers out to guard the tomb. Not just any soldiers, by the way. The soldiers they placed at the tomb were the elite Roman soldiers of the day. It would be the equivalent of us sending Delta Force or a SEAL team to watch the grave. But then Jesus took his life back up. And the stone was rolled away not to let him out because he can walk through buildings and show up wherever he wants to show up. The stone was rolled away to let the disciples in to figure out he was gone. <laughs> but the earthquake came and those men, these strong soldiers, fell like dead men. And Jesus took his life back up. My point today is this. They could not stop the resurrection. You cannot stop the second coming. No one can. He's coming back. I suggest you be ready. Let's pray. Father, God, speak to our hearts right now. If there's anyone here that has never truly trusted in your Son, Help them on this day where we celebrate your resurrection. This time of year where we think about you having suffered on the cross for our sins. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never said yes to Jesus, let them hear by faith your, your shout, it is finished. And let them believe that. And believe you've done everything necessary. And give them the faith they need right now to trust in Christ. You offer us forgiveness. You offer us salvation by your mercy and by your grace. And Father, help those of us that have already believed, that already have trusted. Help us to become more like your Son. Help us to answer the call of, of James. To be more like you. Whether it be in our suffering, our service, our, our speech, our separation from the world, or just being ready for your second coming. But Father, help, help us to be more like Jesus. 
And we invite you, we ask you to search our hearts on this Easter Sunday and, and show us things that are keeping us from being more like Jesus. And help us to drop those things and walk away from them and walk toward you and be more like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if God speaks to your heart during the uh, invitation. Uh, I'll be here. Darrell will be here at this side also. Uh, was able to come down and be with us this morning, so Darrell will be up here at the front. If you need either one of us, we're here, but we invite you to come and, and pray, respond however God leads you to. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.